Appreciate you playing. Jean doesn't know this, but my favorite nickname for Jean is her middle name, Jean Captain Kirk. <laughs> she, uh, she runs the uh, News Baptist Association office and has very faithfully and well for many years, and I appreciate Jean. She's one of my favorite associational missionary workers, so I appreciate the work she does and has for a long time. I'm glad you all have her in your church. And um, I, By the way, I, sent you a, I tried to send you a picture. I hope it came through. I sent it this afternoon, so... Hopefully you got it. But anyway, hey, God is good. All the time. All right. Uh, Hattie Johnson, this lady who works in the Baptist building, is retired now. And she's the one that taught me all these sayings that I'm too blessed to be depressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. Uh, you know, too, too trained to complain. Uh, <laughs> and she has all these statements. But the whole concept of God is good took on a whole nother concept with me. I, I came back from a prayer conference and we were talking about you know, praying against the devil and praying the blood of Jesus over things. And I really believe that we should do that. Uh, but I said, Hattie, one of the things I'm learning, if we spend more time praising Jesus and lifting up the name of Jesus, there's no place for the devil. She said, you know why, don't you? I said, you're going to tell me. She said, because it was the devil's job to praise Jesus. He didn't do his job, and he got kicked out of heaven. He can't handle it when somebody else does his job. <laughs> so I came back, and I told Hattie, I said, Hattie, I told him your story. And she took me deeper. She said, you know what? God is always worthy of our praise. No matter how good the situation may be or how bad it may get, God never changes. He is always worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. This has been a rich day today. It's been a, a joy to me to be here. I've been excited about this. Is, y'all are one of those churches that I, that I know you pretty well, and I know a lot about you, know your history, and, and, and love you folks. And um, I get to be in a lot of churches, but this has been a special day for me. I've had, uh, uh, I really enjoyed being with you, and I've enjoyed this time. And we'll have just a moment of dialogue. I want to pick back up on what you said. and. Um, Ms. Rose asked me to tell you a, a story that I shared at your uh, annual meeting back in, um, uh, I guess it was in October, uh, I believe. How many of y'all came to the annual meeting? There you are, Rose. She wanted me to tell a story about church at Arby's. I hadn't planned to tell that, but um, if you want me to, I'll tell that for you, Ms. Ms. Uh, Rose. Uh, this, it was a Sunday night. It was in the spring of the year. I'd been at the, the Tar River Association. I was doing a training session for a group of churches. And it was Sunday night, it was about 9 o'clock, and I stopped at Arby's in Zebulon. And I call this church at Arby's. And so I go in, and there's really nobody in there but myself and the people working and a church lady. Now, the church lady, I know she's a church lady. She's a tall lady in a dress. And I asked her, I said, uh, where do you go to church? And she told me the name of the church. It was Independent Baptist Church. And so Melanie is the lady working at the counter, had a name on. I said, Melanie, I said, uh, um, I know you don't have time right now, but I said, here's your little Bible study called Steps to Peace with God. When you have, a, have time, take a look at it. Well, I can already tell the church lady just kind of looks at me like, what's going on here? Now, I kind of registered that she was paying attention to what I was doing, but not sure. And so, um, anyway, she said, thank you, sir. I'll do that. I appreciate that. And so, anyway, the guy that brought the food out, his name was Sylvester. Now, when your name's Sylvester, you don't forget that. So, I said, Sylvester, I said, here's your little card. It's got John 3.16 on it. It's got a prayer on the back. Take a look at it. Well, he stops right then, and he's studying the card. While he's doing that, another girl comes and looks over his shoulder. You know, she's kind of looking over. And I said, would you like one? And she said, yeah, and I handed her one too. Well, you've got to picture this. It's like the United Nations. Melody's like an Anglo person. Sylvester's African-American, and the girl looking over his shoulder is Hispanic. Now the church lady's standing there looking at me like, what is going on here? And I'm thinking, I'm starting to think, she's probably never seen anybody witness or share their faith. And, and, um, and so then the girl who's working in the drive through window, she sees me talking to them, recognizes we're kind of church people, and she goes, hey, y'all, when you're in church next Sunday, you pray for us. We need it. 
I said, all right. I said, well, if you want me to, I'll pray for you right now. She said, all right, y'all, come on, right now, right now. He's going to pray for us, right now. And so now i got five people at the counter, and, um, and I'm getting ready to pray for them. And the church lady now is standing there, her eyes are as big as saucers. And she's like, oh, man, what is going on? She didn't say a word, just big eyes. And so I just prayed for them. You know, it's, you know they're, they're working. You've got to be pretty quick and be appropriate. And I said, Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for their willingness to serve. I pray, Lord, they'd all come to know you in a personal way. They'd know your love for them. And that they would come to uh, know salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, just a 30-second prayer. Well, the church lady now has got big eyes and her mouth like dropped open like, like that. And so... Anyway, it was all funny. In fact, the story was a lot funnier than I even told it because of the animation of the people and particularly the drive through lady. So anyway, uh, I got my sandwiches. She got her sandwiches. And, you know, if you've ever been in Arby's, they got a bell. You can ring the bell if you like the service. So, you know, I, I'm curious, George, anyway. I'm going to ring that bell. So I rang the bell. Ding, 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 ding. And they all yelled out, we love our customers. I said, I love you all too. You have a good night. And I was kind of laughing as I went to the car because the whole scenario was really funny. I mean, that's a funny story. Just to think about it, it's funny. And, but when I sat down in the car, I started thinking about the church lady. And I thought, I don't think she's ever seen anybody share their faith before. And I think it was a shock to her. And folks, it ought not to be that way. Amen? It ought not to be that way. We shouldn't be a shock to see somebody talk about the faith. The people in the store liked it. They were very engaged in it. You got five of them all at the counter talking to me. But the church lady had not seen that. And so it should be the other way around. You know, we should, what she should have been doing probably instead of her mouth dropping, has been praying for me, you know. <laughs> So when somebody engages with somebody, start praying for them, you know. I was on an airplane one time, and long story, I won't tell the story, but uh, I'd witnessed to this Arab guy for about 30, 35 minutes. I'd share the gospel with him, give him a Bible, had a great conversation. This Korean lady sitting beside me, and then the punchline of the story is when I finally finished sharing with this guy, and they told us to put our tray tables up and get ready to take off and all this stuff, the Korean lady turns to me and goes, in, in broken English, Campus Crusade for Christ? I said, I said, yes, ma'am, I was trained that way in college. And she picked up my four spiritual laws outline in my testimony. And she said, me too, me too, in Seoul, Korea. Whole time you taught me pray. Whole time you taught me pray for you. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. That's tag team work. And so when you see somebody witnessing, you pray for them. And that's how you want praying as a Korean, I'll tell you. They get up at 5 in the morning before they go to work at 8 and pray for three hours. There's some praying people. They're sending out a lot of missionaries. Well, it's been a great day, and I've enjoyed it. I'm going to talk about this topic here. We're just going to go right into session three so that we keep the continuity. But I want to come back and address something that you mentioned about which quarter of life you're in. Uh, first quarter, zero to 20. Second quarter, you know, 20 to 40. Third quarter, 40 to 60. Fourth quarter, 60 to 80, and then overtime past that. I think we all want to finish well. And the short thing I'll just say about that is most people don't really remember what we did in the first and second quarter, but they do remember how we finish, and we want to finish well. You want to finish on mission with the Lord and for the Lord. Amen? And so uh, it's never too late uh, to make a difference. Uh, it's never too late to start making a difference. And I think everybody, somewhere in their heart, especially those that are in this room tonight, you wouldn't be here. You'd be watching football or something. If you didn't really care and if you didn't want to make a difference, I think you do want to make a difference. I think the young people over here want to make a difference. You want your life to count for something. And when I went to KC83 and I met my wife there, I was 20 years old, I guess, 21. Maybe I just I guess I just turned 21, birthday's in December. And um, I remember we had a lot of different people speak to us. Josh McDowell was the host, and we heard Elizabeth Elliott, and Billy Graham spoke to us on a, on a, a recorded video, and Ronald Reagan was president, and he spoke to us on a live satellite feed from the White House. And the, the conference was a Great Commission conference. You know, go make disciples of all the nations. It's called a Great Commission Christmas conference. 22,000 students all over the country. But what Reagan said is what I remember the most. And Howard Hendricks taught every morning. 
But Ronald Reagan said, I, I hope that you all, my prayer for you, and that's all he said, my prayer for you all is that you will make a difference for God in this country. And, and I left that with that attitude. I do. On, I want my life to count. I want to make a difference. And the greatest thing I can do is invest in eternity. And the Great Commission became my life verse. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and then the great promise, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That became my life first. The point of that is it gave me something to live for that's worth dying for. And I want to tell you, if we live for something that's worth dying for, it's worth living for, you know? And I know most of you, somewhere in your heart, that's really in your heart. You want to do that. You want to live for something that's worth dying for. And so um, just keep that in mind as, as we try to finish well and do well in the second half of your life or the third quarter or the fourth quarter, wherever you find you. Todd, you're blessed to be just starting the second quarter, man. <laughs> Some of us are close to halftime. So um, anyway, just something to think about. Preparing your heart, pray for and share with lost people. Now, we've talked about uh, just ways to share your faith, and we're going to talk about that some more tonight. And we've also talked about uh, lostness and why we should pray for and share with lost people. What I want to talk to us tonight about is you as the vessel, you and I as the vessel. What do we communicate? How do we communicate? And, um, and so we'll unpack some of the things that we've talked about already. Um, there we go. <laughs> I thought that's where I was. These are the four principles that I want to talk about tonight, and, and I'll unpack these. Pray with the attitude of praise and thanksgiving. That has to do with our attitude. Pray for cleansing. It has to do with us as a vessel. Pray according to the promises of God. That means trusting God at His Word to do what He said He will do. And then the fourth thing is pray with the intent of others being involved in the harvest. The short summary of that is don't um, just pray for people to be saved, but pray for them to become a disciple that will make disciples. Amen? Now, let me, let me share something. If you've got your Bibles, turn, if you will, to Psalm 78. And um, I want to pick back up on something that um, Olivia really asked me about, and I gave an illustration that goes with this. Um, it's about preparing your heart. And um, yeah, I think I've got that on, on the screen. Yeah. Now, Psalm 78, what's going on here is the psalmist is telling the people to remember to pass on their values, to pass on their God stories so that their children will know about the, the Lord. So that they'll tell their children, so they'll tell their grandchildren, and they'll tell their great-grandchildren. That's what's going on here. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. I want to read it from verse 4, and it says this. Psalm 78, verse 4, says, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and the strength of His wondrous works that He has done. Verse 5, For He has established a testimony in Jacob. He has appointed a law in Israel, which He has commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. You see, He's passing it on from generation to generation. But here's what He wants them to tell them, verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart or didn't set its heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, that's the difficulty. One generation didn't get its heart right. Then it says in verse 9, The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in His law and forgot His deeds and His miracles that He had shown them. Now, what's going on in this passage? Well, the psalmist is reminding them, you need to tell what God has done in your life. And you need to tell that to your children. You need to tell that to your grandchildren. So they'll tell their grandchildren. So it's passed on. But then it gets to that part where it says, one generation failed to prepare its heart. It didn't get its heart right. And then it says, then the, the tribe of Ephraim. Who's the tribe of Ephraim? That's Joshua's tribe. 
That's the warrior tribe. And it says they were archers equipped with bows. What that means is they had the best armaments of war available at that time. They weren't throwing rocks at each other and hit each other with sticks. I mean, they were shooting flaming arrows, and they were able to have artillery, basically. So it says they had the armaments of war. But look what it says when you get down to verse um, verse 9, the second half. It said, Yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. Now, what this implies here, it doesn't say anything about fear. There was no fear. It was just simply disobedience. They did not want to carry out what God had asked them to do. But the blame of that is placed on the previous generation because they didn't get their heart right. And folks, that's us. We've got to get our hearts right. We've got to make sure we're right before God so that the story I shared earlier about the kid named Jay who said, you know, my dad's not the spiritual leader of my family or any other story like that. We, we've got to be sold out for the Lord so that our children and our grandchildren really see something real about us. That we're not just playing church and we're not just playing churchianity, but we're trying to be biblical Christians and we're really trying to make a difference and do what is radical. I mean, I heard this, uh, I guess Francis Chan probably said this. He said, anybody that really tries to follow the Bible to those that are lukewarm Christians will look like a radical. And and that's basically what he was saying. Now, Tom Rainer has a book called uh, The Bridger Generation. And in this book, he talks about how the different generations are about sharing their faith. And he said, talking about the World War II generation, of those that are born again, committed Christians, 65% of the World War II and older generation know how to lead somebody to Christ. Then he said the baby boomer generation, which is people born 1945 to 1964, only 35% of those who are born again, committed Christians, know how to lead somebody to Christ. Then he said the bridger generation, that's people after, or the buster generation, which is people after the boomers, which are born 1964 to 1981, only 15% of them know how to, they were born again Christians, know how to lead somebody to Christ. And then he said the bridger generation, or the millennials, generation X, which is people born after 1981, only 4% know how to lead somebody to Christ. We're one generation away from a Christ-less society. And folks, we not only need to know the Lord, but we need to know how to tell people about Him. We need to, to develop our testimony and know how to tell it in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 3 minutes or whatever. We also need to, to know a basic gospel presentation. Uh, the Evangelism Crash Course piece has a couple of different things. Know the Roman road or know your testimony or know how to engage a conversation or know the basics of the gospel. We all need to know four or five principles. And I'm going to tell you four principles real quick that no matter what verses you memorize or what you need to know, these are four principles. One, we need to be able to tell people, we need to know, Jesus loves me. Say that out loud. Jesus loves me. John three sixteen. you know that. All right, the second thing we've got to know is I'm a sinner. Say that. I'm a sinner. Romans three twenty three says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So God loves me. I'm a sinner. Third thing is Jesus died on the cross for me in my place. Say this, Jesus died on the cross. You ready? Jesus died on the cross for me. And... That's all over the Bible. But I like to use John 14, 6 because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Then the fourth thing is, I must receive him. We must, the Bible says in John 1, 12, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So those are four principles. No matter how you share the gospel, those are four anchor principles. Just real quick again, God loves me. Say it out loud. God loves me. I'm a sinner. Say it out loud. I am a sinner. Or you can say you're a sinner if you're sharing with somebody, but personalize it, and then it's easier to do it. Third thing is, Jesus died on the cross for me. Say that. Jesus died on the cross for me. The fourth thing is, I must individually receive him. Very good. Y'all do good. Y'all ever have responsive reading? It'll probably work. 
I'm just kidding, Doug. I don't know if y'all do that. But anyway, I just, y'all did it pretty well. Those are four principles. If you know those, know verses that go with them, know how to show somebody in the Bible, mark your Bible for the Roman road, and you don't even have to be able to speak the language. If you've got the Roman road marked in the Spanish Bible, you can have somebody read. I led somebody to Christ in Honduras with the Roman road, just asking them to read, comprende, amigo, comprende, amigo. See, amigo, and he finally in English says, oh, I pray, I already pray, ask Jesus into my heart. <laughs> so you never know. And um, so just keep that in mind. We've got to prepare our hearts. Who's to say that somebody in your family or somebody you have influence over, God's not going to raise them up to be a Billy Graham or a Bill Bright or an Ann Graham Lotz or a um, James Dobson or somebody that's had a great influence on our, on our society. So you never know. First, first point here, pray with praise and thanksgiving. Thank God for your own salvation. When's the last time we thank God for saving us? I think when we have an attitude of gratitude, we're more generous to, to share and to give others. When you really appreciate somebody's giving you something, you tend to be more giving. When we really appreciate what Jesus has done for us, we want to tell other people. Y'all remember uh, the example I gave this morning about the deacon dean when we prayed before communion. Lord, thank you for saving my sorry and all soul. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we need to have an attitude of gratitude. And the second thing, thank God for his redemptive work. God bought us back. We talked about this this morning, about he ransomed us. He paid for us with his own blood. He purchased us. And then thank God for allowing you to join him in his redemptive work. Do you know that it's a privilege to know the Lord? It's a privilege to be known by him? Think of our language. We say stuff like, I got to do this or I got to do that. When the reality is, we get to. Most of our life is a get to, not a got to. We say stuff like, I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I got to go to church. I got to go to a meeting. I got to go to outreach. No, no, no. The reality is I get to go to work. I get to go to school. I get to go to church. I get to go to outreach. I get to tell people about Jesus. It's not illegal yet. So most of our life is a get to, not a got to. Say that out loud with me. Most of our life is a get to, not a got to. And and that's something I hope is a takeaway for you because it changes our attitude. And when your attitude is recognizing that you don't really deserve anything you have, and we didn't really necessarily earn it, though you may have worked hard and saved a lot of money, and you, you did work for that, and you did earn that, but that's still God's favor and blessing. And, and we have to recognize that, that most of our life is a, a get-to, not a got-to. Then look at Second Corinthians uh, 5 right there. Um, you quoted it this morning. You read it <clears throat> this morning. It says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come out. All these things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. If you've been made right with God, part of our ministry is to help other people be made right with God. There's a guy at First Baptist Jacksonville, and he's probably in his 70s now, named Chuck Joy. He used to teach personal evangelism, and I love an illustration he gave. He said, you know, when I meet my new friend Bob, my new friend Bob in the flesh is not as real to me as my best friend Jesus is. He said, Jesus in the Spirit is more real to me than my new friend Bob is in the flesh. So when I'm introducing my new friend Bob to Jesus, it's like I'm introducing him to my best friend. It's like, Bob... This is Jesus. I want you to know my best friend Jesus. And Jesus, this is Bob. Jesus and I have been made right with other. We've been reconciled. And now I'm trying to help you guys have a relationship to be made right with each other, to be reconciled. So if you approach talking to people and sharing with people, hey, you've been made right with God and you've been made right with Jesus, you want other people to be connected with Jesus. So we have a ministry of reconciliation. And I think that's what it really means. Um, is you've been, you've, you've been fixed, you've been taken care of, and you want to help other people be connected. And, and we approach it that way. And then talking about being ambassadors. Folks, we're ambassadors whether you realize it or not. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for a lot of things. I'm, I am constantly giving my children little speeches. Uh, Dawson was getting ready to go to spend the night with a friend last night, and I said, be a leader for good. 
you know, do the right thing. And I've told my kids all along, these little 10-second little speeches, you know, stand, for, stand up for what's right, even if you have to stand alone. You know, do the right thing. And my oldest son, uh, Winter, he was homeschooled up to eighth grade, and he was getting ready to go to school. And I told him all summer, I kidded him, I said, I got a speech for you on your first day of school. And I just told him that over and over, every, you know, once a month. I said, I got a speech for you on your first day of school. So I wanted to be ready that I had a speech for him on his first day of school. And I, I knew this was important, and I prayed about this, that this would connect with him. And so he's getting ready to get out of the car. And I said, wait a minute, Wheeler. I said, i got to give you your speech. And he knows I'm a long-winded Baptist preacher. And he rolled, my, rolled his eyes and said, Dad, I don't want to be late on the first day of school. I said, no, son, it's short. Just listen to me. Here's your speech. Honor your name. Honor your personal name. I said, and secondly, honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, if you honor the Lord Jesus Christ, that takes care of all of it. That's it. That's it? Yeah, that's it. All right. See you. Have a good day. He's off. And I had no idea what kind of impact that may or may not make on his life. But last year for my 48th birthday, I get a letter from him. He's 19 years old. And I expected this letter to come at 28 years old or 30 years old when he had his first child. And he wrote me a letter. It's one of those keepsakes. He said, Dad, I didn't know what to get you for Christmas, but I thought I'd at least tell you something that you've meant to me. He said, you've given me two speeches in life that have been the two guiding principles of my life. One of them is never quit, never give up, and that's in session four. I'd tell that story, but we won't get there tonight. He said, but the other thing is, is that, that speech you gave me when I started school, he said, you have no idea, but that speech about honoring your, he said, your family name and honoring Christ, he said, that's helped me to make decisions that I would have not made this, the, the same way. He said, it's kept me out of more trouble and helped me to make right decisions. I, there's no way I can explain to you the impact of that one speech. And folks, that's a message to all of us. We never know when we're going to say just those simple words that somebody's going to carry with them the rest of their life. It's going to impact their life. Don't just haphazardly live life. Pray that God will give you the right words at the right moment to say to your grandchild or to say to your son or to say to your daughter or to say to your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law. You never have any idea what you might say that might really stick with them. It's amazing. So pray for those moments and pray that God will give you the words and give the person the heart to hear because we're ambassadors for Christ and that's what we want to teach our children to be ambassadors for Christ above all things. And think about this to apply this to you. Many people know about this church. You can't live in Goldsboro and not know about Adamsville Baptist Church. And I'm going to personalize this. If you go out in the community and you do some really good thing and somebody says, well, where do you go to church? You say, I go to, I go to Adamsville Baptist Church. Man, they're going to think well of your whole church because of what you did. They're going to think well of the whole church. But if you go out and do some boneheaded thing, and they think, well, they go to Adamsville Baptist Church, well, and it's a boneheaded kind of thing, they're going to think bad of the whole church if they don't go here. You see what I'm saying? So I'm really personalizing this. If you represent your church in a great way, whoever sees you do whatever you do, they're going to think well of the whole church. Just like if you do something bad, they're going to think bad of the whole church. And, and that's how ambassadorship works because an ambassador is somebody that represents somebody else on their behalf and has an authority to speak on their behalf. Well, sometimes people just apply that to you anyway if they know what you represent. So teach your children, teach your grandchildren that they're ambassadors for your family, they're ambassadors of their church, and they're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And, folks, that's a challenge to me every day to be a good ambassador for the convention or be a good ambassador for my family. or You know, in, in a sense, I represent you all too because I represent the churches in North Carolina. And, you know, that's not a burden to carry. It's a responsibility, but it's a privilege. Amen? Amen. So be ambassadors for Christ and remember who you represent and try to make sure that we're, we're on that every day, that we're careful about what we're doing. 
And when you mess up, fess up. You know, um, we're going to talk about that right now. When you mess up, fess up. Um, sometimes you're going to make a mistake. You're going to do something that hurts your testimony. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I'd taken all the kids to the water park in Greensboro one day, and I had mostly free tickets, you know. And so I got in line to buy the one ticket I had to buy, and I'd left some of the tickets in the car. And I'd waited, you know, 30 minutes, just July. It's hot outside. I've been outside on that black asphalt, and it's really hot. And so I get up to the window, and I don't have all my tickets. And the lady said, well, sir, you have to have all your tickets for your group to be able to go in. I said, well, can I just, like, show them to you when we, and then walk on in? And she's like, no, sir, you have to have all your tickets. And I could feel the heat coming, you know, on the inside. I, I was not happy about that. I didn't say anything ugly, but I was not a happy camper. Because now i got to walk all the way back, you know, half a mile across the parking lot, get all that stuff, get back in line, and do it. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, I'm sure not going to witness to her now because I've already messed up my testimony. You know, because she knows I'm irritated. And I didn't say anything ugly, but you could just look. You can read people's face when they're irritated. I was irritated. So anyway, I get back in line. I go all the way through, and I said to the lady, I said, I need to apologize to you. I I know you're just doing your job, and I know I seem like I was upset about that, and I, I apologize to you. I hope you'll forgive me. And she said, that's no problem, sir. That's no problem. Thank you. That's all I said to her. I didn't talk about Jesus. I didn't say anything because I felt like I'd already messed up my, my, my witness. But, you know, when you go into a place like that, they have turnstiles. Well, okay, I go through the turnstile. And, you know, when you push the turnstile, the next one pops you in the tail. Right when it popped me in the tail, the Lord spoke to me in a way. And he said, you did just witness to her. You didn't witness to her by what you said to her. You witnessed to her because you apologized to her. And I said to her, the Lord, that, that's probably the part of it that, that I, maybe I don't know if I said this, but the Lord, I said to the lady, I said, the Lord revealed to me that I was short with you and I shouldn't have been and I, I apologize to you. And that's all I said to her. And so sometimes we witness when we apologize because that's authenticity. That makes us real to people. Then we're not just a, a goody two-shoes, another church person, but we have a real relationship with God and we're sensitive to the Spirit of God. And that's what we've got to be. And that's huge in our witness. Second point is pray for cleansing. I like what the King James says here on this, this verse. <clears throat> it says, pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, that's good King Elizabethan English for you, but I like the way it sounds. You know, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We've got to pray for cleansing. Uh, we've got to keep our hearts clean. Look at what Psalm 66, 18 says. It says, if I had cherished sin, the Lord would not have listened. Now, sometimes we sin and we like it. That's what it means to cherish sin. That means we, we like what it is that we're doing that's not right. Now, now look at this illustration right here. If, if this is God, this is a pulpit. I know it's not God, but let's say this is God, and you're all hugged up to God. As soon as we sin, zoop, we drop a barrier between us and God, and we tend to drift out here. And then we've got this kind of sin barrier. We've got this sin gap between us and God. It might be our attitude. It might be a habit. It might be something we're doing or something we're saying or something we're thinking. I'm, I, it doesn't matter. There's some kind of sin barrier. Two major tragedies happen when we allow sin to reign in our life. One is that we're no longer worried about God's agenda. We're only worried about our agenda. We, we're not really concerned about what God wants or what, the, what best, is best for the kingdom of God. We just want what we want. Folks, that's human nature. You know, we just want what we want. We want it the way we like it. We're not really worried about what God wants. That's tragedy number one. Tragedy number two is we're not going to reach out to lost people because we don't want to deal with whatever this is. And because we don't want to deal with that, we're not going to reach out to lost people. In fact, we might even undermine the outreach ministry of the church consciously or subconsciously because just on personally, we don't want to deal with our own sin issues. Now, it's kind of like that little boy that prayed, Lord, please help me not to be such a sinner. 
But Lord, if you don't have time, don't worry about it because I'm having a good time just like I am. That's really how we are. You know, we don't really want to stop whatever we're doing. The good news is in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we come back into fellowship with Him. Now, let's be real. We're going to sin again. We sin, we mess up, we confess, we come back to Him, and we do that over and over again. But I want to tell you something. It's better to be a yo-yo Christian and keep coming back to the Lord than it is to be a no-go Christian and live in your sin and stay away from Him. Amen? So keep confessing, keep coming back to Him. Summary statement, it says, A prayer life cannot be separated from the prayer's life. Unconfessed sin will hinder your prayer for the lost. Folks, it will hinder your relationship with one another, your relationship with God, and your ability to share your faith. You're just not going to, you know... I think that's probably the number one reason that we don't talk about why people don't share their faith is because we already feel guilty that we're not living very close to the Lord ourselves. Don't raise your hand on this, but all of us come under that category at times. We don't feel like we're worthy to tell somebody about the Lord because we're not living real close to Him. And, And that's true for all of us. But let's make sure that we're not cherishing sin, that we're not sinning and liking it. And this is a way that you can kind of think about this. Look at this outline here. And you're going to see this again. I'm going to conclude with this uh, in a moment, and this will be part of our invitation. But maybe you've got a sin you need to correct. Maybe you've got a habit you need to, uh, sin to confess, habit to correct, or attitude to change. Or maybe we've not trusted God and His Word, promises to claim. And then our example to copy is Jesus. So what kind of spiritual shape are we in? Just something to think about as we think about ourselves as an ambassador. We think of ourselves as a witness. Now, God desires to save people. We talked about that this morning. Say that out loud. God desires to save people. Now, this morning we looked at a couple of passages. One of them was was 1 Timothy 2. It says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We'll look at 2 Peter. It says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, this we need to apply in two ways. First of all, you and I, we need to be repentant. We need to know when we've really messed up and really repent. And remember I talked about when we're going away from God, we want to have that change of mind, that change of heart, and come back to God and be repentant and come back to Him. But we also need to teach that to other people because, now, using my illustration earlier of this sin gap, for a person who's never come to Christ, they've got this sin barrier. They've got a major gap. And they they may try to reach God through being good, being religious, going to church, having a philosophy. All those things are bridges that don't reach. But what God has done is through the cross is He's bridged that gap to us when we're, before we've come to know Him through the cross. So now you're looking at a different illustration but with that same sin gap because we've got to come to a place of repentance. And we want to pray for people to come to repentance. Now what's the difference in forgiveness and repentance? Well, I have a bunch of kids. I can illustrate that real well. It happened last week. One of my kids will hit the other one. I'll say, you need to tell your brother you're sorry you hit him and ask him to forgive you. Okay, I'm sorry I hit you. Will you forgive me? You got confession. You got forgiveness. There is zero repentance there. Repentance looks like when one of them hits the other one and says, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I didn't mean to do that. Please forgive me. I'll try not to ever do that again. You see the difference? One of them has confession and forgiveness, but there's no repentance. But one of them is repentance. Now, how does that look like in a church? Well, you've all seen this before. You've, you've heard the preacher preach a great message, and somebody comes down the aisle, they're teared up, they bow down, they pray. You know, preacher, pray for me, I need to be saved, I need Jesus. And they pray, and they ask for forgiveness, and they come to church for a couple of weeks, and then they disappear, and you never see them again. What happened is they came to get the fire insurance policy. They came to get saved. 
And they were sorry for what they did, and they did ask for forgiveness, but they didn't have a life change. They didn't have transformation. So we preach forgiveness, and, and um, we preach forgiveness, and we preach confession, but we also got to preach deeper than that. We got to preach repentance and life transformation. Because the bottom line is, everybody really does want to be forgiven. Everybody really does want to be saved. Nobody wants to go to hell. But not everybody really wants to repent, and not everybody really wants their life to change. Amen? And we know the truth of that. So we've got to live that out, a repentant life, but we also got to teach that as we share with people in a loving way and not in a judgmental way. So not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, we'll talk about prayer here. And this is a New American Standard, so it's very wooden, very literal kind of Greek to English. What do you teach from? Okay, that's what I like that too, so I thought you did. Now, I want to I be sensitive here because I want to use this as an application to praying for something like cancer. But I want to read this to you. It says, This is the confidence we have in, the, in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we've asked, we know that we have what we ask of Him. There's one key element here, praying according to His will. Now, we don't often know the will of God. And how do you pray about something when somebody says, You know, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Some of you have dealt with that, and you are dealing with that. And I, I say this with the most sensitive terms. We don't always know how to pray about that. I believe that God does miracles. I believe He still does miracles today. Sometimes He will do a miracle and just deliver you completely from the cancer. But then also sometimes God allows people to go through a difficult time, and He delivers them not from it, but through it. But let me ask this question. What is God's highest end? What prayer does God really want to answer? Ultimately, God wants to be glorified. The high end for God, no matter what the circumstance is or no matter what He chooses to do about it, His high end is to be glorified. So no matter what we're praying for that we want, ultimately, we've got to pray for God to be glorified through it. So when you're praying for somebody who's dealing with cancer or facing cancer or may have just been diagnosed with cancer, this is what I'm learning to pray. Lord, I know that you're the great physician. Lord, I know that you can do miracles. I know, Lord, that you can deliver this person completely from cancer if you choose to do it. And I pray, Lord, you will. And I pray, Lord, that you would do it so that you will be glorified and people would come to know Christ as a result of this miracle. But, Lord, I also know that you may choose to allow this person to go through a very difficult time. So, Father, I pray that the testimony of your presence and your, your faithfulness and your ministry to this person and this family, as they go through this difficult time, that, Lord, you would be glorified and the testimony of your delivering them through this would be broadcast such that, Lord, you'd be glorified and people would come to know Christ as a result of it. But then, on the other hand, sometimes God chooses to take people home. And for somebody who's lived a full life and they're in their late 70s or early 80s and they, they pass away, sometimes death is in itself a healing. Death can be a healing. And if they're a Christian, like you shared today about some of the people, I think of Lady Miss Ruby, folks, they graduate. They get to go home. They win. Now, we grieve because we grieve the loss of that person, and that's natural. We should grieve. But we should also celebrate their home going because their pain, their suffering, their difficulty, it's over. They've been healed. They've been healed for eternity. Amen? There's no more cancer. And so the bottom line in all that is that we all have to learn to pray towards God's glory. Pray towards God's kingdom purpose. Not just what we want out of it. Because we're going to pray in tears. You know, Lord, heal this person. Lord, you can do it. And pray that you will do it because you can do it. 
But we also have to realize that for God's own purpose and His own glory, we don't always understand. He may not do that. But ultimately, His desire, and we have to trust the heart of God, His ultimate desire is for Him to be glorified. Amen? Now, I know y'all know people, and I do too. I know many people who have either dealt with or been through cancer at different stages or levels, and almost everybody's always told me, I would never wish this for anybody. But for those who are Christians, almost everyone has said, but it's drawn me closer to the Lord than anything ever happened in my life. And God's more real to me than He's ever been in my life. My mother-in-law is a cancer survivor. She's, she grew up in Faison, but uh, she, they live in, in Williamston. And um, she was the strongest Christian of, my, of our family. You know, my, her dad, my, my, my in-laws, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my parents, they're all Christians, but she's the strongest Christian. And she was before she had cancer. But what cancer did for her, and she, she's a cancer survivor. She's 10 years cancer-free. Uh, what it did for her is it made her stronger witness. It made her stronger witness than she'd ever been, having been through that process. And um, she's a, a, a great lady. Her name's Joan. Joan, by the way, means God's grace. Same as Joanne or John or... Johan or Giovanni or Juan, all means God's grace. Now, I want to have a little fun with this passage. I'm going to back up. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 is called the assurance of salvation passage. Now, I'm going to have a little fun with this. This is a, a witnessing opportunity for you. I get on an elevator near Rex Hospital in Raleigh, and it's in a doctor's office. I'm on the third floor, and I get on. And, you know, when other people get on with you, you just back out of the way and let them get on and let them push the buttons. Well, it's two Federal Express agents, a man and a woman in uniform, Federal Express. I was going to tell them that joke about Federal Express and UPS merging and calling it fed up. I didn't even get to tell them my joke. <laughs> the lady asked me a very profound question. Sir, where do you want to go? Well, I want to go to one. She was asking me, you want to go to one or you want to go to two? I said, I want to go to one, but I really want to go to heaven. What about you? She said, oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven, too. I just wish I could know for sure. I said, well, ma'am, the Bible tells us in 1 John 5 that we can know for sure. It says that he who has the Son of God has eternal life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. I said, isn't that great? The Bible tells us we can know whether or not we have eternal life. And we're getting off on the first floor, and the guy that's with her, he just shakes his head like that. And the lady, though, the hamster wheel's turning. You can see it. She's nodding and slowly thinking, and she said, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, they're going in another building or another office, and I'm going out of the building. And I said, well, I hope you have a good day. In fact, I hope you have a blessed day. And the guy opened the door for her, and he just shook his head like that again. And the lady looks at me, and the hamster wheel's still turning. Now, we will, sir. We will. Thank you. Now... That's a cheesy way to do evangelism, I'm going to tell you. But I call that verbal judo. Verbal judo. Now, what is judo versus karate or other martial arts? Most martial arts, if somebody throws a punch, you try to block it. If they throw a kick, you try to block it. You try to stop what somebody's doing. But in judo, it's the other way around. You take whatever somebody does or uses against them. If they throw a punch, that punch is coming. Instead of blocking it, you just pull them on into you. All right? Forget combat for a minute and just think about words. Use that in your conversations with people. I call it verbal judo. People give you stuff all the time that you can turn into a spiritual conversation. You were, you were asking uh, that question earlier. This is one of those um, devices, conversational devices, that I use to engage people. The lady asked me a very profound question. Sir, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to one or do you want to go to two? Well, I answered the real question. That's what she was asking me, but that's also a, a spiritual question. Now, I knew I only had 30 seconds in an elevator with them. But somebody asks you a question like that at school or somebody asks you a question like that at work, you may not be able to deal with it right then. But during a break time or after work, you might say, you know, you asked me a really profound question today. I did? 
Yeah, you remember when you asked me if I wanted to go to one or I wanted to go to two? What you asked me was, where do you want to go? Now, I answered your question, but you really got me thinking. I did? Yeah. What, did, what were you thinking about? I said, well, you got me thinking about eternity. I did? I mean, you see the conversation going back and forth? Now you've locked this person into a conversation that they're curious about with their own words. Because they ask you, where do you want to go? And you really got to think about that. You see how that develops in a conversation? If you will be open to that and you'll be spiritually sensitive to that, people give you stuff all the time you can talk about. Here's one that you have almost every day, and this is a great way to engage people. Wow, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week, and I'm not speaking personally. I'm giving you an example. It's been a tough week. Uh, you know, all kinds of things have happened, and, you know, my mom's in the hospital now, and, and we're not sure what's wrong with her, and here's what you can do. They're giving you stuff. They're giving you a spiritual opportunity right there. You can say, well, we'll be praying for you. What's your mother's name? I'll pray for her. Then the next time you see that person, you remember their mama, and you say, how's it going with your mom? Whatever happened with her in the hospital, I prayed for her. Folks, that's powerful. Man, that's powerful because now you've engaged with this person on a heart issue about something they care about, and now you've got another door of opportunity. Let me show you what that works, what it looks like. My dad loves fried seafood. In fact, he loves Eastern North Carolina barbecue. Those are his two favorite foods. And uh, his favorite place to eat in the world is Holtz Lake Barbecue in Johnston County, if anybody knows where that is. Now, his other favorite place to eat is the seafood hut at Calabash. And him and his brother Joe both live at North Myrtle, and they go eat every Wednesday Without question, they're the first ones in line. You know, they're older men, and, you know, they're just like a movie. You know, one of them's real tall, one of them's short, and they show up at 1045 every Wednesday. The first ones in line. They open the door at 11. They put them in the same seat. They don't get a menu. We'll have your food in just a minute, Mr. Dupree. Hey, Mr. Dupree, how you doing? You know, they just, it's, it's clockwork. They go every Wednesday. It's fun. And now, anybody ever been to Calabash? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, there's a little, the little restaurant, the Seafood Hut. All right. Well, about a year ago, uh, in fact, it was a, two years ago, actually. Now, it'll be this summer to make it two years. I was in May. I was teaching in the Brunswick Association, so I always try to meet my dad and his brother for lunch. In this case, my mom came. And we had this waitress come to our table. Her name was Regina, about my age. And I said, Regina, is there anything we can pray for you about? Oh, yeah, wait just a minute. So she does a couple things, and she comes back, and, man, she pours her heart out, tells me about her family, tells me about her daughter, several number of things to pray about. So we just prayed for her right there. She bowed her head, stayed at the table, burst into tears. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I got to go. You know, you could tell she was really touched because that was really heavy on her heart. That's what was on her mind. So she goes off. So we're getting ready to leave. And my dad, you know, he's 77, 78 years old. He's 77 at the time. He puts down, you know, a 15% tip and you know, just a few dollars. And the only thing I had in my wallet was a $20 bill, Todd. And so I pulled out the 20 and I laid that 20 down. And my dad says, you're not going to do that, are you? I said, Dad, she needs that way more than we do. And he said, really? You're going to do that? And I said, Dad, I, I think I need to do that for her. I said, she needs it more than I do. So he grabs his $3 and puts it back in his pocket. <laughs> He's old school now, you know. <laughs> and so she comes back by the table, and we're about to walk out the door, and she sees that tip on the table, and you see her just like this. She turns and mouths to me, thank you. You know, you could see it. Now, that was in May. I'm back there in August, and then it's just my dad and his brother and myself. I meet them for lunch, and um, Regina walks through. And I said, hey, Regina. And she said, hey, wait a minute. I'll tell you something. So she goes, waits on her cups to come back. She said, you remember all the stuff you prayed for me about at the beginning of the summer? I said, yeah. She said, God's answered almost every one of those prayers. It's almost all been taken care of. Isn't that incredible? Now, that's the end of the story. But let me tell you what happened when we got in the car that first day with my mom. We get in the car, 
after Regina said thank you to us, we get in the car, and my mom goes, Marty, that was really nice of you. Here, here's you a $20 bill. <laughs> you can't outgive God. <laughs> I wasn't asking for it, but my mom gave it back to me, you know. So you never know the kind of minister you have. And here's my challenge to you. How many of y'all have certain restaurants around here that you frequent? You got, I know some of you go to Wilbur's. I know some of you go to McCall's. But you've got some other little diners and places that, that you go. And you know the waitresses and you know their names. I'm, a, I'm commissioning you right now. You're the chaplain. You're the chaplain of the restaurant. I don't care what your name is and I don't care what the restaurant is. You're the chaplain. You make yourself the chaplain. You do it at school, at the lunch table. Listen to your friends and when they share problems, pray for them. Whether you pray for them right then or later, you become the chaplain. You, you take care of praying for people. You start praying for people and, and loving on people, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Amen? I've had the opportunity at Pam's Farmhouse on Western Boulevard. I'm, I've just, I'm kind of like the chaplain there. And I can tell you story after story. But pray for people. Ask them what you can pray for, and then remember what you prayed for. If you show a little care, you get a chance to share. Hey, that's new. I hadn't thought of that. If you show a little care, you get a chance to share. How about that? Let's say that together. If you show a little care, you get a chance to share. I need to write that down. Somebody remember that for me. Well, there we go. We need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Say that out loud. We need to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. Now, what that means is basically you pray before you share with somebody. Now, some of you might think, well, I've heard of relational evangelism or friendship evangelism. Well, I'm going to pray for them for 40 years. I'm not going to say a word to them, but I'm going to pray for them. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you pray as you go. And, And I'm saying that you may not share with them the very first time you meet them, but you look for that opportunity. But pray as you go. And here's a simple thing that I'm learning that I I do. As I'm walking into a place or walking into a circumstance or walking into a situation, a lot of times I just pray, Lord, give me wisdom and give me words. Wisdom may dictate that I spend most of the time listening. But when I have that opportunity, Lord, give me the words to say. And, And the better you can be a listener and engage in their conversation, engage in their story, engage in their life, you look for that connecting point so that you can share. So you pray as you go, you pray and you prepare, and then you share. Now, look at this statement. It says, not only does the Word of God command us to pray for the lost, but the will of God demands that we pray for the lost. And look at this, too. This is powerful. In fact, the most important thing we might talk about is this right here. Our perception of people shouldn't dictate how we pray or for whom we pray. No one is beyond the reach of God. Now, we look at a circumstance and we might think, man, this is impossible. This, this, is, this is impossible that we may never be able to reach this person. But um, our perception uh, should not stop us from praying for them and sharing with them. And I talked about this this morning, about being soul conscious, not seeing people as scenery, what do they look like, or machinery, what can they do, but see them as a soul with an eternal destiny. I want to tell you a story about this, one that really touched my life, and this is really where I kind of picked up this concept uh, or developed this concept. A friend of mine named Toby Frost, he's from Wilmington, North Carolina, pastored in the Atlanta area, was a church planner in Atlanta, then worked with Nam. now he's in Monroe, Louisiana. Toby told this story at a conference in New England when I was up there. He and I were the speakers, and he got up and he was telling the story about this uh, gothic dude. You know, what a gothic dude is. You know, the black trench coat, and or goth, not gothic, but a goth. You know, the black combat boots, dyed their hair black, silver jewelry, white makeup, all that. He said one of them slipped in in the back where he was preaching, and he would slip in, he'd hear him preach, and he'd slip back out the door. Now, remember I talked about it's rare that a fish would jump in the boat but it's not, impos- it's not likely, but it's, it's possible, but not likely. All right, this is an example of the fish that does jump in the boat. 
Anyway, he would slip in, he'd hear the message and slip out. And that went on for a few weeks. Eventually, Toby was able to get to the back. He kind of, I guess, prayed himself out the door like you did this morning and caught the guy and met him and found out his name was Travis. Well, that went on for a while, and Travis would stay, and he, he still stayed in the back. Well, eventually, Travis prayed to receive Christ. And after he prayed to receive Christ, he started sitting on the second row near, near the front. And Toby said he would preach with everybody staring at him. He called them mall vampires. That's what Toby's term was. He said the goth people look like mall vampires, you know, that... You know, the white makeup and the black hair and silver jewelry. I guess that's what it was. I mean, that was his term for it, mall vampires. He said, well, they had like a, a revival, like pack a pew night, and this dude brought all of his buddies, all of his friends, and like seven or eight of them. He said the evangelist preached the whole message with the whole congregation staring at them, you know, just staring at them. You know, I, they, they were harmless, I guess. But anyway, they, they had everybody's attention. Well, that went on for a while. Then one Wednesday night, Toby gets up to speak, and there's a guy sitting where Travis normally sits, normal-looking guy, street clothes, you know, just a normal guy. And after the service, he goes up to him and he goes, Travis, what ha- what's up? He said, man, you've changed. And, he, you know, he'd really physically done everything, changed, cut his hair and all that stuff. And he said, why the change? He said, well, he said, I'd witness to all the people that were like me, but I was trying to witness to my boss at work. And he said, why should I listen to a freak show like you? He said, I realized I needed to change, that what I was doing was becoming a barrier to being able to talk to other people. So I changed. And that was Toby's first application. So are you willing to change something in your life so that you don't have that barrier to sharing the gospel with somebody else? He wasn't suggesting that we dress up like mall vampires either. <laughs> but then he wet, his eyes welled up with tears. And he said, Travis's faith puts me to shame. He says, you'll never guess where Travis is. He's a missionary in Central Asia in a closed country where it's against the law to share Christ in public. He's a tent-making missionary with the International Mission Board. See, folks, we don't know what God's doing with somebody's life. We make all kinds of assessments and judgments. We see them as scenery, what do they look like, or machinery, what we think they can do or not do. We have no idea what God's doing. But if you look at the progression of this guy, he is one of those fish that was seeking after God, or God was calling him to himself. He did jump in the boat. He showed up at church, but it was a church plant. It wasn't a, you know, wasn't a traditional established church. They were meeting in some kind of auditorium or a school or something like that. He, he does show up. He keeps coming. He eventually comes to Christ. He moves down to the front of the church. And then he moves out to build the mission field. He changes and then moves. Folks, that's, a, that's not an unusual progression. But as we see people, we've got to change the question. Not what do they look like or what can they do. What is the condition of their heart? And do they know Jesus as their Savior? And that changes our whole perspective on how we see them. Now that we're not just dealing with them from the outside in, we're dealing from, with them from the inside out like God does. We, he has an eternal perspective. He knows what they've been doing, what they're going to do, and what they're going to do in the future. We don't know any of that. But at that moment in time when we engage with Him, we have to realize that's a soul with an eternal destiny. So the question isn't what do they look like. The question is what's the condition of their heart, and do they know Jesus as their Savior? And that changes. That helps us to love them, pray for them, care for them, witness to them from the inside out, not just from the outside in. Amen? Amen. Something to think about. Nothing is impossible for God. Say that out loud. Nothing is impossible for God. Now, all of us probably somewhere in our life have a situation or circumstance where it seems impossible. Uh, I know a couple of, of situations, marriage situations, family situations, uh, in, uh, among friends, and, and even some of my own family members. I'm not sure anything's going to change short of God doing a miracle. But folks, if God can raise people from the dead, if he can change Travis's life, if he can do the things that we know he does, and he does it all over the world, he can do it here. So just keep that in mind. I'll share some stories about that. The last point, 
Pray with the intent of others being involved in the harvest. What does that mean? Well, that means don't just pray for somebody to be saved. Pray for them to become a disciple. The Bible didn't say, let's uh, make decisions. It said, make disciples. Billy Graham had a sign one time going into Florida for a crusade. It said, our goal is not to make decisions. Our goal is to make disciples. And that's the Great Commission focus is that we make disciples. Now, I want to tell you a story about this. I'm going to see if I'm on the, yeah, that's where I'm at. Go back. Trying to get it to go back one. Can you make it go back one if you can? There you go. I'm going to leave that up for a minute. I learned a lesson about this concept from my oldest son when he was about eight years old. We went into a restaurant one time, and it was seafood. I, you know, I eat fish on Fridays. I, Milton calls me the good Catholic boy. I have so many kids eat fish on Fridays. I love it. And um, we'd gone into the seafood, uh, in North Carolina seafood. It's called the seafood market. It's at the farmer's market in Raleigh. Some of y'all probably eaten there before. And uh, my wife and my son have been to the doctor, so I got them to meet me there. And this guy comes in, and he's got the wildest-looking outfit. He's got the exploded hairdo, the hoop earrings, the orange pajamas, the Jesus sandals, the embroidery with the moon and the stars. I mean, this is a, he looks like a Halloween character. I mean, it's wild-looking. But he's sitting about as close, he's actually closer than you, Todd, and I could hear what he was talking about. He was talking to these three guys, college-age guys. One of them had a sweater vest, one had a sport coat, one had a tie. They're very sharply dressed, college-age guys. And he was talking about Greek and Hebrew and Jerusalem. Got my attention because he's loud enough I could hear him. So as they're walking out, I told my, my wife and my son, I said, I'm going to think I'll go talk to this guy. My son says to my wife as he's walking out, he said, Mom, I think that's a witch doctor. Well, I did, that never occurred to me, and I didn't know he said that till he got home, until I got home. Anyway, I go over and I talk to the guy, and I said, Sir, I said, I heard you talking about Greek and Hebrew and Jerusalem. I said, Are you a minister of some type? Well, what he said just went straight over my head. He said, Well, I'm a traditional African priest. Well, that just went right over my head. I said, well, what do you mean by that exactly? And he said, well, basically, it's voodoo. When he said that, I did Garfield's cat on the inside. I went, ah! I learned a new witnessing principle that day. I said, I think I'll just interview this guy. Because I didn't know what to say or what to do. So I just interviewed him. And that's what you do when somebody tells you there's something you don't know what to do with or you've never heard of or you're not sure how to respond, just interview him. That's the principle I learned that day. So I just interviewed him. I said, well, sir, I said, what exactly do you believe? And he said, well, his words, not a dime's worth of difference in what I believe in Hinduism. I believe in nine different gods, and he went on to elaborate that a little bit. And then I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? He said, Jesus? Hmm, I don't think about Jesus a lot. I think he's a good guy, a teacher, a prophet, maybe. I'm not sure about that. And I said, well, let me ask you something. If I gave you a Jesus video, would you be interested in sharing it, or or would you be interested in seeing it? He said, yeah, I might watch it. I might even show it to my students. It turns out he's a professor in the School of Mental Health at NC State University. Doesn't that make your day? Now, something I didn't tell you, I never felt that from the professor, but these three guys with him, I felt evil emanating from them. It was a spiritual power encounter. I felt this evil praying against me. It was a darkness coming from them that was praying against me. And I went and talked to my friend Gene Brooks, who's a pastor in the, in the Rocky Mountain area now. But he had dealt with all this spiritual warfare stuff, and he explained it all to me. But anyway, I didn't get that from the professor, but I got it from these guys that had been under his tutelage, so to speak. Anyway, this was in August of 99. The jury's still out on this. This is not a closed case deal. But let me tell you what happened that night. We go home, and uh, we're getting to have family prayer time. I said, Wheeler, I said, son, how did you know that guy was a witch doctor? You are right. And he said, well, daddy looked like something out of National Geographic. (laughs) That's exactly right. And so it was pretty wild. 
But the lesson I learned is what my son prayed. Now, I was stuck back over on the impossible. I won't try to go back to that cell, but, you know, I was looking at this guy thinking, if this guy came to Christ, that would be a miracle. But here's how my son prayed that night. He said, Lord, I pray for the witch doctor, that he would come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, Lord, I pray that you would use him to lead thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. That hit me so hard because I was thinking, if this guy came to Christ, that'd be a miracle. But my son prayed beyond that. He didn't pray for them to become a, a Christian. He prayed for him to become a disciple that would make disciples. And, and you know, from the mouth of babes, from an eight-year-old boy praying a prayer like that touched me. I went to my room and cried like a baby that night. That hit me so hard. But let me tell you some more about this story. I continued to run into this man. I hadn't seen him in a while and got to know him. Well, he's really not a whole lot more African than you and I are. He's from Durham, North Carolina. He's African-American. And he's more of a dabbler. Find out one of his parents is A.M.E. Zion. One of his parents, parents is Pentecostal holiness. He is from a church background. He's just dabbling in this stuff. That's why you didn't feel it from him. You feel it from what he's teaching. He's passing on stuff that he himself probably is not 100% convinced of. I walked up to him one day at a table. He had a bunch of businessmen with him, still dressed in one of his bizarre outfits. But um, I went up to him. and He said, hey, this is the evangelism director. And he gave me a video about Jesus. He said, it's better than CBS's version. It's better than NBC's version. It's the best one I've ever seen. I said to him, it's because it's the inspired version. It came from the Bible. And he said, oh, no, I don't believe all that. And so, um, anyway, the jury's still out on this guy. So you keep praying for people, and you never know. And I, I, I've had other people heard me tell this story that work at NC State, I didn't know that, came up to me and said, I see him go to lunch every day. I'll join you in praying for him. And so um, you never know. But don't just pray for people to be saved. Pray for them to become a disciple of Jesus Christ who will make disciples. Amen? All right, now a couple of things as we begin to land this plane. Ask God to send laborers in the harvest. That's what you want to ask the Lord for. Ask for opportunities to witness. It says in Colossians 4, Paul says, Pray that a, that a door of opportunity might be opened for me. Pray for those opportunities. And then the third thing, pray for boldness. In Acts 4.29, the disciples are starting to be persecuted, and they said, Lord, take note of the persecution, but give us boldness. They didn't, have, they didn't really focus on the persecution. They focused on what they needed from God was boldness. And then in Colossians 4.4, 4, Pray for clarity in presenting the gospel. Paul says, pray that I might make manifest what I ought to say. That's a big word for pray that I might be able to clearly speak. And he asked for the opportunity in verse 3 and then verse 4, Colossians 4, 4. He says, pray that I might uh, speak clearly what I ought to speak. Pray for those opportunities. Pray that God would give you a clear way to present it. And then in Acts 13, he talks about some things there about focusing the hearts of the people. And then number 6. Grant you the courage to be willing to answer your own prayer. In Matthew 9, 38, most of you all are familiar with this passage. Jesus is speaking to the 70 followers. And he says, beseech the Lord of the harvest. That's strong language again. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. For the fields are white unto harvest. That's verse 38, 39. So he's telling these folks that are following him, I want you to pray for laborers. Pray hard for them. Then next verse, chapter 10, verse 1, he turns around and sends them out to be the answer to their own prayer. And folks, a lot of times we might be praying for, for God to bring somebody into somebody's life or for the TV to be stuck on Billy Graham or the radio to be on a Christian station. I prayed all those things. I actually had a guy about a year and a half ago told me that he couldn't sleep one night and he was flipping channels at 4 in the morning and Billy Graham was on like three different channels and finally he just quit flipping and started listening and prayed to receive Christ. So yeah, that does happen. I had a guy actually tell me that's how he came to Christ. But uh, sometimes God may use you to be the answer to your own, your own prayer that you've been praying. Now, he does use other people, but be, be aware of that. Pray for people and be willing to be the answer. Now, as we begin to think about this, folks, 
We've, uh, we've talked about this tonight. Sins that we might want to confess. Habits we need to correct. Attitudes we need to change. Promises we need to claim. Our example to copy, of course, is Jesus. I want us to take a moment, and this will be kind of, our, our, kind of a quiet invitation time, to think about where are we spiritually? What kind of spiritual shape are we in? What kind of witness are we for the Lord? I know all of you want to be a better witness. You wouldn't have come tonight because you knew what this was about. You knew what God was, was going to be talking about, you know, about evangelism, about sharing the good news. That's what it is. So I know that you want to improve in that area. All of us do. I just want you to bow your heads, and I'm going to just take us to a, a time of silent prayer, and I'm going to ask you some questions and then give you an opportunity to pray silently, and then we'll have a, a regular invitation in a moment. Lord, we come before you tonight, and Father, we confess to you that we're all sinners. Lord, we're sinners, but we thank you that you love us. Now, Lord, in this moment of silence, just reveal to us, Lord, as we we ask you, what area of sin in our life do we need to confess to you? So speak to us now in this moment of silence. Lord, we just pray by your Holy Spirit, you reveal to us the areas of life that maybe we have sin in our life that need to be confessed. Father, cleanse us and make us whole, bring us back to you. Now, Lord, we think about habits that we might need to correct. Father, if there's some habit in our life that's not pleasing to you, reveal that to us in this moment of silence. Lord, we confess to you that sometimes our habits do not please you. And Father, please forgive us for the habits that are not good and help us to replace them with good habits that are pleasing and honoring to you. And now, Lord, help us to think about our attitude or maybe prejudices that we might have. Whatever attitude that we might have, Lord, in our life that is not pleasing to you, all of us have issues with our attitude sometimes. So help us to think, Lord, right now, what attitudes do we need to change before you? Lord, I confess to you that my attitude is not always right. Even though externally I might do the right thing, my internal attitude may not always be right. Lord, I confess that for myself and for all of us. Lord, please forgive us when our attitudes are not pleasing to you. And please help us to have a proper and a correct attitude that does please you. Now, Lord, help us to think about your word. Father, there are promises in your word that we've not fully accepted or fully trusted or Maybe we've not just trusted you at your word, but Lord, your word is true and faithful and perfect. So, Lord, help us to think about areas of your word, your holy word, that we've not trusted you fully. Lord, your word says that you are, your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness to us, O Lord. Lord, your word also says that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting to the deep asunder of our heart. So, Father, help us to trust you fully at your word. And forgive us, Lord, when we've not fully trusted you and what you've said in your word that is true, that we can count on, we can bank on it, we can see it as a solid rock and a foundation in our life. And finally, Lord, we think about our example to copy. Lord, our example is Jesus. 
And Lord, we know that we're not exactly as Christ-like as we need to be or we ought to be. But Lord, help us to think about the areas of our life where we're not being Christ-like. And help us, Lord, to think about being more like Jesus. In this moment of silence, speak to us, Lord. Lord, we say that we want to be like Jesus and we want to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to want to be more like you. Help us to surrender our hearts and our life to you afresh each morning that we're like a private reporting for duty, willing to do whatever you say, go wherever you send us, to do whatever it is you ask us to do. Lord, we're not always ready to do that, but help us to want to do that. Father, help us to be more like Jesus. And that to be the attitude of our heart. And Father, we confess that we're not like Jesus most of the time. But help us to want to be. So Father, as we conclude this time of prayer, I just pray, Lord, you would help us to lead more like Jesus. To be more led by Jesus. And ultimately, to lead more to Jesus. For your glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, this is our time of invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand, and Doug's going to come and lead us in a song, and Pastor Todd will be down front, and and, uh, I guess Keith is here as well, and we'll be down front. But maybe God's put something on your heart tonight, and the one thing I would challenge you, to to come to this altar and just pray and surrender and afresh to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not what I really want to be, or I'm not where I want to be, but Lord, I want to surrender afresh to you tonight. I, I want to be a witness for you. I want to be a Great Commission Christian. And I invite you tonight, just come and surrender in a fresh way. Um, whether you're right where you are, you come to this altar. Maybe you're here tonight and you've, you've listened to all this and you're not even sure if you've ever really been saved. You're not really sure if you've ever really asked Jesus into your heart. And um, I told you the four principles that we need to know. You know, God loves me. I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for me and I must receive him. And we need to know whether or not we've done that and really meant it and surrender to Him. So maybe you need to know about that tonight. We'll be glad to talk to you. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to rededicate your life or maybe you have some kind of public decision. Maybe God's called you to something. There's possibly somebody here tonight that God has called to the mission field, short-term or long-term. And you've never told anybody, but you know that God has been tugging on your heart as Doug comes to lead us tonight. And by the way, he's done a great job today. Thank you, Doug. Um, maybe you need to come and say, Pastor Todd, I don't really understand this, but God's calling me to some kind of full, full-time ministry. Please pray for me. So the invitation's open. Doug's going to come and lead us. You respond as the Lord would have you. You come in obedience right now.